Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Nine, Nuf, Nerve, Nueve, Juviench, Ni, Nor, Nain, Ju. That's nine in nine different languages. And the language Manchester United was speaking last night was goals. Nine nil, nine men and no Premier League win in nine games for Southampton. Smashed by a record scoreline last night as Manchester United destroyed Saints. That's the second time they've lost nine nil in 14 months. Saints boss Ralph Hasenhurtl staggered through the assault against Leicester last season. But will he cling on to his job this time around amidst the latest onslaught? We'll be talking about that on the podcast as well as misfortune at Molyneux for Arsenal and David Luiz, a huge three points for Sheffield United against West Brom, and more misery for Newcastle. But the midweek madness doesn't stop there. Five Premier League games to look forward to tonight, including Villa versus the Hammers, Leeds against Everton, and Fulham taking on Leicester. All that to come here on the only Premier League podcast, with a new show seven days a week, every single day of the season. Welcome along to Football Social Daily. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. Why not join loads of others in hitting subscribe now so you never miss an episode of the podcast again. I'm Niall and with me to examine the residue left over from last night's games, we have Marley Anderson. Hello, Marley. Hello, guys. Nice, nice quiet one today. Not much to talk about last night, was there? <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, also, Ian Brannan's here. How you doing, Ian? I've never been referred to as a residue examiner before, <laughs> but I'm um, happy to be here. Hello. Well, there's plenty of residue, plenty of entrails left over of Southampton <laughs> last night after they were disemboweled by Manchester United. And uh, I'm going to milk this for as long as possible in the opening salvo of this podcast Manchester United 9 Southampton nil. where else can we start today's Football Social Daily than at Old Trafford last night where Manchester United equaled their record victory in the Premier League the last time they won 9-0 was in 1995 against Ipswich the last time Southampton lost 9-0 was last season against Leicester uh, consecutive campaigns now in which the Saints have lost by a record scoreline in the Premier League Marley I don't know how much of the game you watched, but have you ever seen a side just almost down tools and give up like Southampton did last night? You would have thought if you were a player in a Southampton shirt last night, 
after things did go downhill for them, and we'll come on to the red cards and stuff in a sec, but when it got to five, and then six, and then seven, surely as a player you're thinking, we can't let this happen to us again, but they did. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to know what at what point the first one of them thought, Jesus Christ, this can't happen again, can it? Because, you know, it had an air of... <laughs> one nil. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as it went down to, to five, I think it was, just after half-time, and Man United obviously weren't letting up after, after, t- um, after taking mm. Shaw and Cavani off. Um, it was kind of one of them where you just thought, oh, well, maybe they're, they're taking the foot off the gas a bit, but then they got the fifth, and it was like, nope, they're not. They're just giving fresh legs for the next 45 minutes because they just mm. didn't let up at all. And, you know, Southampton were... Obviously, they were poor, but, you know, um, yeah, they didn't look... They just didn't look like they wanted to fight for it. They, I think I was thinking about, you know, the way they play and stuff. And I think it, it didn't help. It doesn't help when you're getting battered because when Southampton play, you know, they, they try and press, they try and, you know, get high up the pitch and engage the opponent as much as they can. And when you're getting, when you're a man down, that almost becomes impossible. But also it's all they've done for the last 12 months, so it's all they know. So, mm. you know, when you're trying to do 11 men's work with 10 men, and, you know, two academy graduates trying to fit in as well at Old Trafford when they're fancying as many goals as possible to, to get the uh, the goal difference as close as they can to Manchester City's. You know, it's a recipe for disaster, really. But, you mm. know, they were they were awful and Man United were, were relentless and ruthless. Yeah. So, yeah. When it was 7-0 with 19 minutes to go, I knew that it was going to finish 9-0 or maybe even more. Because, I mean, when you've conceded that many and you've been that leaky and there's still nearly 20 minutes left on the clock, I mean, the odds were not in Southampton's favour. And also in the numerical advantage was with Manchester United, which we'll come on to in a second. But in terms of the performance as a whole from United, Ian, particularly in the context of the title race, the last two games against Sheffield United, which was a blip uh, last week, and then Arsenal at the weekend where they drew a blank, they have looked reasonably blunt in the last two games. They look like they kind of ran out of ideas, Manchester United, before this. So the fact that they've scored nine and seven different scorers, including rare goals for Aaron Wambazaka and Daniel James, that surely should restore some swagger in the Old Trafford ranks. It must certainly do them good, <clears throat> excuse me, for sure. I, I think um, they, you know, as you say, that you know, a, a route like that has got to be good for team morale. Um, and they could have had more as well. I mean, it could have been at least ten or eleven. Uh, the, there was at least two sitters that I counted that, that that really should have, on any other day, you'd think would have would have probably had a, at least been on target. Um, and so, it, in, incredible performance, and it has to do than the world of good. And I think that we're maybe doing Man United down. I mean, we've been we've been saying this probably for the whole season that perhaps that they're they're not firing on all cylinders and, and stuff but you know they're up there mm. at the top of the league um with with um with, with city it's it's all to play for they're one of the teams that are not falling away um they're keeping the momentum going and we look at the the standard of the performances i know that i'm known for a, a stat here and there um but <laughs> but scoring four goals in the first half of a premier league game it's the second time they've done it this season because they did it against leeds but we won't talk about that uh in but it's the first time they've done that in two games of the season four goals in the first half since 1997 and so you know these performances as far as the goals are concerned and, and the amount of goals mm. they're scoring in matches you know, these are performances that haven't been seen from a Man United team for, for quite some time so there's uh, a lot of cause for optimism and I think you know if we are sort of being critical of them um, maybe we're being overly critical because when you when you stack up the, the performances from Man United this season they're maybe not uh, the best ever but they're certainly 
up there as far as the actual results and, and the amount of goals they're scoring are concerned. It's um, you know they're a strong team. I mean, admittedly, Southampton uh, having a, a man sent off in the first in the first two minutes is, yeah. is certainly going to improve your morale. Yeah, we'll come on to that in a sec. But in terms of the goal scoring, um, you know, you say you're a man who likes a stat, Ian. But here's one that encapsulates perfectly what you've just said. Manchester United scored five plus goals two times under Moyes, Van Gaal and Mourinho combined. They've scored five plus goals on eight occasions under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So it just goes to show that they certainly have found an eye for goal under Solskjaer, more so than their previous three managers before him. So you're talking about the attacking football that he likes to bring. We certainly saw that last night and uh, we've seen it over the last 18 months to two years under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer too. So certainly signs going forward that Manchester United have rediscovered their cutting edge. Uh, Ian touched upon it there, Marley, and you know we can't escape it. The fact that after two minutes, uh, Southampton were down to 10 men and that never helps when you're trying to play away at Old Trafford against the side hunting for the title. Um, Alex Jankovic on his Premier League debut was sent off. I mean, it's a fair red card, I think. I don't think there can be any complaints. I mean, what's your takeaway from that? Because obviously he's a young lad who, as you've mentioned already today, has come through the academy and probably wanted to make an impression and make an impact in the biggest stadium he's probably ever played in, in Old Trafford, against a, a legendary club in Manchester United. Do you think that there was maybe a bit too much adrenaline? He was a little bit too keen is if that's a fair assessment yeah i i think it was exactly that um and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it as well because you know it was a horrific tackle and he, he certainly made his mark um as you say you know he wanted to make leave an impact and make a mark um he certainly did on mctominay's leg uh, nearly scratched it you know put his six or seven studs down his down his thigh mm. and his knee and it was a horrific horrific tackle makes you shudder doesn't it oh yeah it's yeah horrible. really really bad one um but yeah, it's it's that I think that it it can be explained because it was two minutes in. It's the first challenge of the match. He's on his debut. He's never started a game before. He's not going to pull out of that tackle. He's going to say, no. "I'm here. I'm going for this ball." It's one of them dodgy bouncing balls as well, and it's almost impossible in the modern game to to challenge for that because you have to raise your studs. And yeah. you know, if you don't get the ball and you raise your studs, you almost always make contact with the. Uh, with the opposition player, and then you always you're always going to get sent off for it. If not real time, then definitely when they slow it down and start looking at it from from, from different angles and things like that. So I don't think he meant to hurt McTominay though, did he? It, it no, was just I like don't careless. think he did. Mm. No, not at all. Um, I, do you know what? I don't know if any of you seen match of the day, but uh, last night, but Dion Dublin was on it, and he was like horrific tackle, horrible player. You know, he proper went to town on this kid, and I thought, stick to Holmes under the hammer and going up the stairs to the bedroom, you absolutely <laughs> Just because there was absolutely no, there was no understanding from an ex-pro of what it's like to be on your debut. Like he's done a horrific tackle, okay, fine, but try and dig into it and say why has he done that? Because it's not hard to see. Seventy seconds in, yeah, in the first challenge of his professional career, he's obviously gonna try and win that ball he yeah. gets it horrifically wrong and he's got to be sent off and all the rest mm. of it not, not no denying that but it's not hard to see why in my opinion that he went for that and that he challenged like he did because there's no other way of challenging it McTominay had his had his boot up as well mm. um, the fact is McTominay beat him to it by about half a second and that's a, a huge um, yeah. huge time difference in, in that kind of mm. challenge I watch a little bit of under-23s football and the difference in quality and speed of decision-making and stuff like that between senior Premier League games and under-23, which is effectively the reserve league these days. It's, cas- it's, it's like a chasm. It's cavernous, the difference between 
um, the, the quality and the standard in the under-23s and the Premier League. So to come straight up from the under-23s and play in the Premier League um, is, and I think he was found out pretty quickly. And you talk about players on their debut making rash decisions. It happens to even the most experienced players. I don't know if you remember, Marley, but Steven Gerrard's last ever game for Liverpool against Manchester United, where he came on and within two minutes he was sent off um, yeah. for a horrific challenge. I think it was on Ander Herrera. So, yeah, you know, he stamped happens, on him, didn't he, after about it, eight seconds or something? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it happens to even the most experienced of players. Hey, no, not, if right you, not if you're Dion Dublin. No, never made a mistake <laughs> in his career. Him. I'm pretty sure he headbutted Robbie Savage once. I'd love to see him... Uh, well, that, that that shouldn't be even a yellow card, to be fair, but never mind. Maybe he didn't like the interior of Robbie Savage's house, so he's getting the nut on him. Um, maybe, he live, maybe Robbie Savage lives in a bungalow. Yeah, there's no stairs yeah. going up to the bedrooms. The stairs lead nowhere, Robbie. Bang! Yeah, he doesn't like it. Um, obviously, there was another red card in the game, Jan Bednarik, and we haven't got time to talk about that or all nine of Manchester United's goals, but there was a very similar incident that happened to David Luiz in the Arsenal versus Wolves game, which we will come on to. So we'll kind of lump the two red cards there in together uh, on that one. But as for Ralph Hasenhurtl, Ian... What does he do now? He survived the loss to Leicester by nine goals to nil in October 2019. Can he survive this? Should he survive this? Does he deserve the sack? Should he walk? What do you think you would do if you were in his shoes? I I think he'd just prepare for the next game and and just get on with it. It's one of them things. I mean, you lose 9-0, fair enough. I mean, apart from damaging your goal difference, it makes no difference really to the the league table between that and and losing 1-0, really, does it? I mean, it's a case of preparing for the next match. That next match for Southampton is against Newcastle United. I think now, if Newcastle United were to hammer... Southampton 9-0 firstly Marley would be very happy Um, so would Steve Bruce and so would the other Steves involved in in the team Uh, and and the Graham and um, and you know but that would that would be more telling because they're sort of similar positions in the league uh, Southampton would probably like to think that they're a, a better team than than Newcastle and being hammered by Newcastle would be you know a terrible thing um being hammered by a Man United team who are absolutely flying at the moment when when they're in front of goal, when you're down to 10 men, I don't think is like the worst crime in the world. I think it's one of them. And I think you've got to look at the bigger picture. And the bigger picture, Southampton, we were saying not too long ago, were, were doing all right. Um, yeah, the mid the mid table, the mid table. But really, we're the best one in the world. Are Southampton really gonna have, have they got the resources of those teams at the top in the top four? You know, financially to compete. And no, they haven't. But they're having a decent season otherwise. And I think you have got to look at the bigger picture and to, to hammer him for for one defeat. I mean, he didn't concede all of those nine goals himself. It, you know, his player getting sent off in the first two minutes again, Man United for whatever reason uh, isn't ideal. It, it it totally screwed the game plan up, no doubt, and um, and I think just give him give him time now. Yeah, if if Newcastle or if uh, Brighton or Sheffield United were to hammer Southampton nine nil and their confidence was to go, then I think that's different. But I think Man United, surely, for for most teams, playing game Man United is one of those one of those games that you kind of think, well, you know, if we get something from that, we'll be pleased, and if not, then we won't worry about it. Unless you're one of the top four teams, you know what I mean. Listen, I, I get that viewpoint. I totally understand where you're coming from there. But 
it's happened twice. Yeah, but two seasons. people were calling for his head after the first mm. time. Ian, and, Ian what's know, happening here is Niles sat there Niles, in his Portsmouth shirt yeah. going, he should be sacked, yeah, he's Niles, lost twice, 9 nil. I don't think we've made clear. Marley, to be honest, he can stay. You should be applauding this performance. If he keeps him losing 9-0. I think if you're yeah, if you're a Pompey fan, you want to stick the boot in, fair enough, right? But I just think the argument argument there is obviously they stuck with him didn't they when yeah. they lost 9-0 to Leicester and everyone but it said was relatively that it was, new then, wasn't it, it was the right decision to stick with Haas and Hurtle because look what he's managed to do to Southampton the 6th of November because they printed t-shirts about it they were top of the Premier League table a um, <laughs> couple of months later they're now in the bottom half of the Premier League table no win in nine games and they've lost 9-0 and there were mitigating factors as you say against a high scoring Manchester United side with two red cards it was a bad day at the office but, I mean, if people were calling for his head after a 9-0 loss to Leicester, they were in touching distance of the top four. They were in touching distance of the Europa League spots. Yeah. Now, not one in nine and lost 9-0. So, I mean, I can see why people are suggesting what Hurtle does. I mean, is it dignified for him not to be sacked, but walk away? I mean, well, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of question I suppose some people are asking. I just think, right, at this point in the season, the transfer window is closed, okay? What is bringing a different manager in going to achieve? He's still going to have the same players. <laughs> Um, there's no reason to believe that the players at Southampton at this moment are kind of anti hustle hustle, which is not very easy to say. Uh, and, um, and 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 that, that you know you look at it, and I think I mentioned before. I think Arsene Wenger has said in his book that uh, changing a manager really it might improve things short term, but it doesn't improve things often long term. Statistically, you look at the teams that change manager in the middle of the season and yeah, you get the odd one, but more often than not, it just kind of carries on because the players are the same and the attitude is the same. Um, I, I, I'd stick with him. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think changing it's going to make a bit of difference. And if he can put a good performance in against Newcastle, sorry, Marley, um, then, you know, it'll all be forgotten by this time next week. What do you reckon, Marley? What, what's your take on the whole situation? Because obviously, you know, I am going to milk it being a Portsmouth fan, and understandably so. But in terms of a Southampton perspective and from the supporters' perspective, I think they all do really like Ralph Hasenhurtl. And I can see why, because he's got them playing some of the best football they've played down there for a long, long time. But also, you can't keep losing games this way and expect to not take some flack for it. Yeah, he's, he's going to get flack for it. But I think... Southampton haven't had a team this good and a and a sort of manager this good specifically since um well I'm, no like 2016 when they were good when they had Tadic and Peller and and players like that and uh, and they were they were doing quite good they were sort of a an entertaining team to watch and then they were rubbish for two or three years and nearly went down um, and Hasenhutels took them back to sort of mid level um, you know at one point they were top of this this crazy league but. Um, I think last time they lost 9-0 it was almost the best thing that ever happened to them because they they all clubbed together and they got so much better from there like they got so much more identity to the way they play they had the philosophy they actually bought into what Hasenhutl was trying to do he's finally got the team he wants and the tactics right um, after that massive shock that was Leicester but I think this time round it was much more like there was an obvious reason why they got beat nine nil. They had to start two academy kids because they've got the worst injury um, crisis in the Premier League at the minute. They have got the most players out injured. Um, they lost two more at the weekend with Romeo and Walcott, who have been regular starters for the last uh, nine or ten games or whatever it is. Um, and obviously they were away at Man United, uh, who were who were challenging for the title, and they it's. It, 
they had a man. Uh, what? Uh, yeah, they had a man sent off as well. So everything can be explained with this one. Like Leicester was a complete shock because it came out of nowhere, really. And Leicester were playing good, but not to the level where you'd expect them to beat a team nine nil. Um, but this time round, there was so much more. There's so much more sort of caveats to this result that it's not nowhere near as bad, in my opinion, as the Leicester one. Um, and really, it'll just be like a a wake up call as as to the team and to say, you know, well. If we don't get it right, that's what can happen because this league is is ruthless and we're we're eleventh in it, so we're not we're not a bad team, you know. So these things can happen when you don't get it right. So let's make sure it never happens again. But obviously, it's it's still a, a blow to lose nine nil twice because it's uh, it's not a uh, it's not something that people forget anytime soon. Really, <laughs> I mean, there's a Twitter account called. And it's literally just been launched about two weeks ago. It's it's brilliant, and it says the title of it is "Have Has the Nine Nil Been Mentioned?" Um, because the Nine Nil has never <laughs> stopped being mentioned, obviously since they lost to Leicester. Um, and he literally set this account up in January, so four five days ago, <laughs> two weeks tops. He set this account up, and last night when it got to seven, he just put no 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 no. I swear I swear. And then it ended up nine nil, and he's just like, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's called tempting fate. Oh, um, it is from fault, really. on the upside. It on, on aggregate, uh, they've been beaten twelve nil by Man United this season. So all good. <laughs> James Ward Prowse has been beaten eighteen nil on aggregate in the two nine nil games. He's the only Southampton player to have been on the pitch for the full ninety for both of those encounters. But on Ralph Hasenhurtl from crying beating Liverpool to losing nine nil to Manchester United. This game comes at you fast. United nine, Southampton nil. Time to move on because we spent plenty of time talking about that dissection of the Saints. Time to talk about Wolves now against Arsenal. Wolves won the game by two goals to one. A blinding strike from Joao Matinho to win it. But do you think the Gunners were hard done by when David Luiz was sent off Marley? We alluded to the Jan Bednarik sending off in the Southampton game, but it was a very similar situation when David Luiz uh, ended up clipping uh, the Wolves man who was sort of clean through on goal. I don't think he meant to do it. I don't think he actually attempted for a tackle, which is why he was sent off, because when there was no attempt to play the ball, I think the decision-making uh, sort of protocols from the referees is that a red card is a legitimate decision when the player isn't attempting to, to make a challenge for the ball. However, it was almost a challenge he couldn't avoid. It looked like the Wolves player was kind of running forward and as his leg kind of moved backwards, it, it hit David Luiz's knee as he was trying to get out of the way. So it all was a bit of a mess really, isn't it? A hundred percent. I mean, for this thing, for this rule to be exposed twice last night was... Um was crazy because you know two hours apart the two decisions of Martial's uh, penalty and uh, Willian Jose going through you know David Luiz is trying to get out the way of him um, he's, he's thinking Christ if I touch him he's going down into penalty so he's trying to get out the way Jose's um, I think it's his heel hits his knee and then he goes down obviously because he can't he can't help it because it just affects his balance as he's about to shoot but um the rule it just brings home how silly the rule is because you know it was clarified by everybody uh, every man and his dog that it's it's the rule that if you don't try and play the ball you it is a red card because the triple jeopardy rule or double jeopardy whatever it is uh, doesn't apply but that makes no sense that 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 sort of um what's the word it sort of affects the integrity of things because you know how? Why you? Why would you get a yellow card for ankle tapping the guy as he goes through and saying sod this? 
I'll take my chances of uh, saving the penalty, of my goalkeeper saving the penalty. Because if David Luiz had made it look like a, a genuine challenge for the ball, um, he wouldn't have got mm. sent off. And it's the same with... Um, well, it's similar with Bednarek, but it's the big difference with the, with the Bednarek tackle is that Martial just blatantly dived for it. I mean, <laughs> Bednarek tries to get out... The difference is, Bednarek tried to get out of the way, and David Luiz tried to get out of the way as well. But David Luiz didn't, get out of the way because there was contact whereas Bednarek did get out of the way he did what he was trying to do but Martial dived anyway and then Mike Dean takes 14 looks at it on the on the monitor and still gets the decision wrong absolutely baffling what how how he gets it, it wrong because there is no contact between Martial diving at 5-0 whatever it was 6-0 getting the man sent off mm. that is it's ridiculous but it uh, is with the it Arsenal is. one, though, Marley, what is the right decision? What I mean, obviously, the referees can only go by the letter of the law. So when people say, oh, it's a ridiculous decision by the referee, use some common sense. Mm. Well, there is an assessor sat in the, sat in the stands oh, yeah. scrutinising the referees every an single move. An assessor that's so, never you know, if the ref- played the game. He's never made a mistake <laughs> in his life, is he, the assessor? Christ. Uh, I mean, well, what's the right decision? What would be the right call? I mean, David Louise was fuming on Instagram after the game, after he got sent off. I mean, he looked to keep his cool as he, as he left the field of play at, at Molyneux. But certainly, I mean, what is the right decision? Is a penalty and a red card the right decision? Because obviously this whole double jeopardy rule, it was a mistake by David Louise. It wasn't a deliberate attempt uh, to, to bring the man down, which is when a red card probably should be issued. I mean, a penalty, is that even fair? Because it was an accident. But I guess if it's a foul, it's a foul. It doesn't matter whether you mean it or not. The rule is designed. So when it says there is no attempt to be made at the ball and that's why it's a red card, that is meant to um, <laughs> stop people, like just ch- just cropping people before they go through on goal. That's what it's meant to, to be like. But because the rule is worded how it is, it also incorporates people who are trying to get out the way of the tackle because Louise and Bednarek are trying to get out the way of the tackle. Therefore, they're not trying to make a, ta- a tackle for the ball. But the the rule is designed to stop situations like Solskjaer rolling years ago when he uh, ran down half the pitch and chopped down Rob Lee when he was one-on-one with uh, the goalkeeper, Peter Schmeichel, in, when Man United played Newcastle in like 1999 or whatever it was. Um and it's that's where the the loophole is, and there's a loophole in every rule in the Premier League, um, and we've seen so many of them exposed this year, you know, with handballs and and offsides, and now penalties and things like that. But it's um, it, it was hard to see, like the the proper punishment would be yellow card, I think, and a penalty. It's 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 enough. It's not like you he's got away with one because you've conceded a penalty, which you're probably going to lose. Uh, concede a goal from anyway so I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought anyone would have been outraged to see Martial I mean if you're judging that it was a foul for Martial then just a penalty and no sending off um, and same with David Luiz as well yeah I mean regardless of whether it was the right decision or not Ian that was another red card for Arsenal in fact they got two on the night um, we've only seen two red cards in a single game once in a Premier League season for the last three seasons last night we saw it twice in two games there were two red cards um, further highlights their discipline issues though nine red cards now for Arsenal since Mikel Arteta took charge of the club in December 2019 which is three times more than any other Premier League club. Now, things are tough at the moment for Arsenal, as it is in terms of their difficult beginning to the season and how they're not quite where they want to be under Mikel Arteta. But they keep shooting themselves in the foot, don't they, by getting their players sent off? 
It's not going to help, is it? I mean, we were mentioning about the, the Southampton game. Obviously, they suffered from a couple of sendings off as well. And you just see how much it spoils the game plan. And I, I guess it depends which player gets sent off because without knowing the exact game plan of each team, we we don't know how uh, instrumental that a particular player is to the actual plan that, that, that they have against the team that they're playing against. Um it's not gonna help, surely. But I mean, I, I, f- I feel for them with the with the um, David Luiz sending off. I mean, it, 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 it's a very very harsh red card. Um, Mark Clattenburg actually has come out and said it was a yellow at best. Um, I mean, he didn't. He didn't <laughs> all the my... referees they've got on different TV stations all say different stuff. <laughs> that's right. Which absolutely underlines the whole point of. <laughs> what I, we I, I just say bring, every week on the podcast. Bring, bring back Andy Townsend's tactics truck. That's what we need to get the full definitive <laughs> answer on this. Um, but it was it was a harsh you know thing, and it wasn't something that David Luiz did. It wasn't sort of a rash moment. He didn't go in there with studs up and try breaking a guy's leg. I mean, the player in front of him's foot happened to knock his knee, and he went down like. <laughs> sack of spuds that was what happened and <laughs> yeah. because the rule is the rule that's that's the punishment um so you know unlucky on that one but yeah this discipline if if they've had that many people sent off through the course of the season which is a lot it isn't going to help to be going through those matches without a full complement of players on the pitch um yeah, we were saying absolutely. that arsenal yeah, were i mean I'd... kind of the form team really getting going a little bit but you know those little indiscretions seem to be creeping back in yeah, I'd love to say something about Nicola Pepe, who scored a good goal, kind of bundled his way through and got a fortunate couple of bounces before curling a nice finish in to give Arsenal the lead. And I'd also like to talk a little bit about Wolves uh, with an important win for them after a rot may have been beginning to set in. But we just simply haven't got the time because we've still got two more Premier League games to discuss from last night, as well as five fixtures this evening. We'll do it all next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. I'm Niall Ian Amali with me. Time to talk last night's fixture between Sheffield United and West Bromwich Albion. We build this one as a relegation six-pointer and you'd have to say it certainly felt that way in terms of the context of the way the game was played. A huge win for Sheffield United. The Blades beating the Baggies by two goals to one, which drags West Brom closer to them and drags the Blades ever so slightly closer to safety, Marley. It was a real scrappy game at times. It was a bit of the old school, really, actually. It it reminded me very much of an old school Premier League game. I mean, Bogle's equaliser and Billy Sharp's winner for the Blades kind of encapsulated that for me. Muddy penalty area, two teams really battling the drop and uh, and scrapping it away in the uh, the sort of goal mouth, really. Bit of a goal mouth scramble in a muddy box. (laughs) It was a bit of the old school, but, you know, an important win for Sheffield United. Massive for them. Yeah, really big win. Um, I think, you know, they might already be gone anyway. But certainly, if they if they lost that game, they're pretty much dead and buried, and you can you can start preparing for next season in the championship. But um, it was, do you know what? Most the goals, the goal. There's a there's a Twitter account called Crap Nineties Football. Um, and if anyone's seen it, the goals from last night almost look like that because they yeah, they were I mean, they were yeah. all rubbish. Like they were just scrappy little goals. But it's it's that stuff that you've got to get the better of. And it was always going to come down to who can sort of profit from this this two poor teams playing each other. But you know, I, I fancied Sheffield United to win that last night. I just thought 
with with the way West Brom are defending, you know, um, Billy Sharp will sniff out a goal somewhere. I think as soon as the him started, I had a feeling he would get something, um, and I think he was about to come off for Brewster when he uh, when he popped the winner in. So it's um, it's a massive result for them. I don't think they'll they'll stay up, but I'd I'd love them to have a, to give it a good go um, as long as it's not at the expense of Newcastle. But um, hmm. yeah, Sam Allardyce is. Uh, I think he's quickly realising that he's uh, that he's bitten off more than he can chew, as we were saying last week. Um, he's he's not getting much out of this West Brom team. I don't think he's not getting anywhere near enough. Um, best defensive coach he likes to you know promote himself as, and the shipping three goals every game or two goals in, as it was last night. And yeah, they they look they look knackered. They look worse than Sheffield United. Um, and the the result last night I think proved it. What about West Bromwich Albion then? Marley's kind of touched upon it there, Ian. Um, that, if you're talking about big blow for Sam Allardyce, they don't come much bigger than a loss to the side below you in the table. No, that's a big dent in uh, in his plans, I think, to try and save West Brom from the potential drop. I mean, they they really needed to win that. There's never been a bigger relegation six pointer I don't think than than the two teams where they are and we were laughing on Monday about I think over the weekend Ian Wright had said that actually he tips Sheffield United to get out of it and do you know it's still possible that's the ridiculous thing because of the way the season is uh, one way or another they're not actually out of reach yet and Fulham have, have, uh, have got a match tonight I mean if Fulham uh, get a result there it's going to make things pretty close down down the bottom and uh, Fulham have actually got a couple of games in hand on some of the teams above them as well such as uh, Newcastle and uh, you know it's, it's twitchy times for all those teams uh, Brighton, Newcastle, Burnley um, I think Wolves are probably you know out of it f- for the time being at least but Sheffield United get a roll on you know it's, it's not beyond the realms of possibility and we've been saying as well Sheffield United have been playing good football through this season and they've, they've had some bad luck they've had some fair beatings as well but they've had some bad luck too which is, has contributed to, to where they are um, and, yeah. and you know they put a, a string of victories together um, West Brom however I was looking on, on Twitter last night from a few of the um, uh, journalists um, who you know, watch um, the Premier League closely um, and it, it's, it seemed that they were quite unanimous in, in actually if they were going to say which team was the worst in the Premier League that West Brom is the worst team they've seen this season um, on their travels and they see more football than, than most of us and big problems there for Sam Allardyce and I actually saw another thing from someone who said that they wouldn't be surprised if Sam Allardyce walks in the next um, month or two if he can't rescue them because he doesn't want to tarnish that reputation of being relegated <laughs> <laughs> for God's yeah. sake, big Sam. I mean, that would. I think that would Im- eliminate his reputation anyway if he did walk away. I mean, talk about rats fleeing a sinking yep. ship. Um, yeah, big Sam. Bloody big rat. <laughs> <laughs> big ship. They're getting bigger and bigger these days. They're getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, like the ones you see in the cities that are chewing on like babies and stuff. Pretty <laughs> chewing on babies. <laughs> Maybe you see that in Newcastle. I'm not sure about anywhere no, else. Yeah. Uh, and it is to Newcastle where we're going next Newcastle 1 Crystal Palace 2 a final score last night you must have been excited Marley in the first five minutes or so because John Joe Shelby gave your side the lead uh, after just 90 seconds and they actually played better football than than recent weeks Newcastle there's still a little bit of that fragile morale though isn't there after Palace got the equaliser it didn't take them long to get into the lead 
Yeah, we did. Um, it, it perfectly summed up what it's like to be a Newcastle fan last night because we finally won a game at the weekend. Everyone was excited looking forward to this game. Crystal Palace aren't that good. We're at home, every, all the rest of it. 90 seconds in or 70 seconds, whatever it was, 1-0, brilliant, everything's going well. And then in the space of four minutes, we've absolutely we've just f***ed it up the wall. <laughs> We're 2-1 down. And then, you know, the performance was quite good. First half... I don't think there was any point any um, point in the match where Crystal Palace were the better side. Um, they scored sort of against the runner play with the first real attack um, with uh, Ryder Wald's goal, which Darlow would have sh- would have easily saved if um, Clark hadn't got in the way of it. Um, and then these, you know, we got done by a set piece from Gary Cahill, which was, you know, I think um, Shah got blocked off by Batshuayi. Um, and if you look, if you look at the replay, Batshuayi has no idea what he's doing. He doesn't even see, doesn't even see Cher coming and manages to block him off, which is uh, a mistake by Cher because he shouldn't have been so far away from Cahill. But it is what it is. They score from that, and then they pretty much just sat in in the second half, and they didn't show too much on the counter attack or anything, and it was a case of. Can Newcastle, who haven't scored many goals recently, um, can they break us down? And we couldn't. We had most of the game, most of the ball. I think we had 60% mm. possession, which is completely unheard of unless we're playing a League Cup game against Newport. Um, <laughs> well, definitely but, yeah. after the, the Palace um, winner in the end from Cahill, the header, as you just said, definitely after that moment, it felt like you did control the game, but you just couldn't well, we were, get through. We were, yeah, we were better before that goal. Um, and during that goal, um, you know... The, the balance of play, it was all us. You you would 100% put all your money on Newcastle scoring next um, when it was 1-1 because we were we were bossing it. And even when it went 2-1 to, the, to Crystal Palace, I thought Newcastle would get back into it. I thought there'd be more goals. And funnily enough, I was um, I was watching watching the game and I, f- I didn't have any eye on the Man United game at all, which kicked off at the same time. Um, and it got to half-time. I thought, this has been a really good game. This. I thought, I'd, do you know what? It's, I'm not going to even like... I can't, the, you know, the game at Man United can't be as good as this one. <laughs> and I, I flicked my phone up and it said 4-0 and Southampton down to the red card. And I was like, all oh, right, yeah, maybe it is then, yeah. But I'm still going to stick with Newcastle and watch us. Obviously, I'm always going to watch my own team. But um, yeah, we just I just think we, we didn't have enough uh, cutting edge because we're, we're not used to having so much of the ball and we need to get used to having that and, um, you know, picking our, our moments from open play rather than the counter-attack and things like that and, you know, trying to break teams down if they're not coming at you. I think you're right. I think that Crystal Palace played some good stuff in and around the penalty area as well. I think even though Riedewald's goal did take a big deflection off Clark, like you say, the actual build-up play was pretty good between Eze and, you know, a blow for Crystal Palace is that Wilfred Zaha actually came off injured just before the hour mark. So it remains to be seen how that does affect them. But they secured the win at St. James's last night. Palace 2, Newcastle 1. So that's last night's games out of the way. Time to focus on the five Premier League fixtures that take place tonight. The early kickoff, 6pm, Burnley against Manchester City at Turf Moor. And City can re-establish their gap at the top of the Premier League if they can beat Burnley, a side they've beaten on aggregate 28-1 over the last seven fixtures between the clubs, including a 5-0 and a 3-0 in League and Cup already this season. Now, Manchester City are going to be massive favourites for this, Ian, and understandably so. They'll be glad that they're playing against Burnley because they always beat them. 
<laughs> so the famous saying goes, but um, of course Burnley, the uh, the Liverpool giant killers, maybe they maybe they fancy their chances um, in in that match. Um, Burnley are a, a, a very difficult team to break down, as we've mentioned before. Uh, it's going to be hard work, I think, for Man City, but I think Man City will will get the job done. I think they've just got too much power, ultimately, too much fitness. They'll probably move a lot faster than, than Burnley would like as well. And Burnley like to sort of dictate the game and, and have you play their game, which is, you know, sort of makes it hard work to, to get through. And I, yeah, but I think that, as, as we've seen before, the, the, the Man City um, theory definitely works against uh, Burnley as it's done many times as you've mentioned uh, mm. in the press conference uh, I don't know if you've seen and uh, if Marley hasn't seen this um, the Sean Dyche press conference <laughs> yesterday yeah. where um, there was as much time spent in the press conference talking about lookalikes and, and, and a reporter asked uh, said to, to Sean Dyche that said, oh, can I just ask, just tell you uh, I think you look like Mick Hucknall and uh, the, the the whole conversation then went down some kind of weird wormhole of, of lookalikes <laughs> and how Sean Dyche's family liked to go on holiday and, and, and look at members of the public and, and say <laughs> say who they look like, <laughs> one of which was Bungle. So it was uh, a very peculiar press conference. And uh, but yeah, I think if 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 Burnley get anything from this game, it's going to be a, it's going to be a bonus. There's no expectations as we we mentioned. There's a, there's those games where you chalk them off really, uh, and um, just hope it's not too bad. I'm not sure how I would react if I was Sean Dyche if someone said I look like a heroin addict from the 1980s. I think I'd be a bit bit annoyed about that, to be honest. But he dealt with it well, did Sean Dyche, in all fairness. I did watch that. It was very entertaining. Go and check it out on the Burnley Twitter feed if you're listening and you haven't seen it already. It was a very peculiar conversation, but entertaining nonetheless. Um, Ian touched upon it, Marley, that Burnley did beat Liverpool recently. They also beat Aston Villa. I mean, obviously it's going to be different against Manchester City um, because of the record that they've got against them. And do you think it would be harder against City purely because incredible defensive record now with Diaz and Stones who've been absolute rocks at the back? So, you know, Burnley, there's a chance they could win, but it seems quite unlikely. Yeah, it does. I think the only the only thing that's sort of stopping me thinking this is going to be a route for Man City and even to the point where I don't even believe it, but I think because it's a turf more, maybe... Gives him a little bit of hope, um, you know, the slightly narrower pitch, slightly smaller pitch, um, to give City a bit less room. It'll be, I think, the weather's been horrible in the northwest anyway, so the conditions could play into the hands a little bit. But still, Man City should have far, far too much for Burnley. You know, the you mentioned the the twenty-eight-one um, aggregate scoreline for the for the last seven games. I think you're looking at something like that as well because the difference between Man City and Liverpool. Um, is like you said the defence I think when you counter attack against Liverpool you know they push the full backs up and you've got the two centre backs to get past and I think on that day I think it might have been was it Fabinho and Henderson maybe mm. um, and then the difference is when you break away against Man City you've got Diaz and Stones all the port to, to get against and you know you've got 150 million pounder defenders there to try and work your way past very very quickly on a on a very rare occasion that you get off the pitch and have the ball so um, yeah, doesn't look doesn't look good for Burnley, but um, they don't expect to win this game. They don't. They're not thinking we need to beat Man City because they're not in the league to beat Man City. Um, they're they're in the league to beat the teams around them. Keep on keep on plugging away like mm. that. Um, and anything else to pick up, like the Liverpool win, is a, is a bit of a bonus. Certainly, I think uh, the light heartedness of Sean Dyche's press conference here and probably does uh, highlight the fact that 
I'm not sure he's expecting a full allocation of points against Manchester City tonight. Um, I'm sure <laughs> no. if it was against the side closer to them in the table, it would have been a little bit more serious. But there we go. Uh, another game that kicks off at 6pm, Fulham versus Leicester at Craven Cottage. Now, Fulham, having seen last night's game between Sheffield United and West Brom and seeing the Blades beat the Baggies, they'll know that they have to close the gap to Brighton, who are above them in the Premier League table, particularly considering Brighton play Liverpool as well this evening. So uh, this feels like a an almost bigger game for Fulham than it was just 24 hours ago, Ian, particularly in the context of the uh, the bottom three. Yeah, um, I think with the way that the, the results have gone, as we mentioned, Fulham have got a couple of games on some of the teams above them, like uh, like Newcastle and uh, and there's another one as well, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but they're on 22. Fulham on, uh, on this is their 20th game, isn't it? So that they've got a couple of points, uh, a couple of games in hand. Um, to close that gap to Brighton, to Newcastle, um, in theory, you know, the, the way that things could work out, give it, you know, a week, 10 days, Things could be very, very tight at the bottom. It could change very quickly with the way that the fixtures are over these uh, these coming next couple of rounds of the Premier League. And Fulham, mm. if they want to get out of it, now is the time. Because if they don't make any ground now, um, it could then be very, very difficult later in the season. I think you know now is the time. It's no good leaving it to the last games of the season when we come to April or whatever. Um, yeah. Now is the time they need to do the work, and and certainly how the other fixtures have played out, they need to take advantage of uh, of that and and get the get the future in their own hands and not rely on other people later in the season throwing results away. They can get themselves out of it now, and it starts this evening. I'm just wondering how much. Scott Parker will be ruining the fact that they didn't hold on to their lead against West Bromwich Albion at the weekend in that big game at the Hawthorns because certainly I think if they had held on to those three points would give them an even bigger advantage to try oh, and yeah. get back safe. Uh, as for Leicester, they'll need to win to keep pace if they're serious about the title after United's 9-0 hammering of Southampton and of course, as we've previously mentioned, Man City looking very likely to beat Burnley. Do you think they will get the job done tonight, Leicester City, Marley? I mean, the odds would suggest that they are very capable of doing that. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think Leicester, you know, I think I think the weekend against Leeds sort of woke them up a bit. I think it'll have a bit of an effect on them as if to say, you know, you know, if we're not at our best, you know, we can't just go into games expecting to win because um, everyone's fighting for something. Leeds were on a bad run, but still have had enough quality. Um, Fulham have that have that mentality where they have to start winning soon um, and they're not that far off you know, safety as, as you said so seven points at the minute would be down to four if they win you know, and all of a sudden you know, that's just a, just a couple of wins away if they can get the win so Leicester need to be careful because I think Fulham, Fulham can play a bit um, I think that'll actually play into Leicester's hands a little bit more um, because I think Leicester will be used to um, and slightly more suited to the to teams trying to play against them a little bit, as they can pick them off on the on the counter attack, and mm. they don't have to break uh, break a team down, um, as it can sometimes be hard to do, especially without Vardy. But um, yeah, I think Leicester will, will should comfortably get this, to be honest, because even though they're missing mm. Vardy, I think uh, they should have enough with the likes of Barnes and Tielemans and Madison all chipping in. I think they'll. Uh, I think they'll do all right and they should get the win tonight. Fulham against Leicester at Craven Cottage in the Premier League. 6pm kickoff. Time for another break now and then we'll be talking about more Premier League fixtures. Yes, there's another three to go through. We'll do it next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This is the only daily Premier League podcast out there brought to you from Sports Social. So make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss a single episode of the podcast right throughout the Premier League season. 7.30 tonight, there's a game between Leeds United and Everton at Ellen Road. Everton are on a great run of form away from home. They travel to Ellen Road having won four on the bounce on their travels and they have a chance to make it five away wins in a row for the first time since 1985. However... The last time they won at Ellen Road was in 2002 when Wayne Rooney scored a goal and it's their only victory, that 2002 win, in 37 attempts at Ellen Road. So my question is to you, Ian, as a Leeds fan, are they going to beat you tonight? (laughs) Well, well, there's a few factors. There's a few factors. I was at that game, by the way, when Wayne Rooney scored. It was a a horrible night. It was cold, windy and wet, as I recall. Um, And uh, and I think it was a fairly late goal as well. It was, uh, yeah, not an inspiring evening. Um, Leeds have not had a good time at home and um, over since the last fixture at Elland Road they've relayed the pitch um, which which is um, at um, Marcelo Bielsa's request and they've bought um, a spare pitch off of Tottenham of all people um, Tottenham grew a, a pitch uh, which was going to be the replacement for the after the NFL after because they take the pitch out um, for the NFL games that were supposed to happen and didn't um, so Tottenham had a spare pitch that they were growing it's a 3G <laughs> pitch uh, and Marcelo uh, Bielsa could and, tell them to make the pitch out of Victoria Sponge and they'd do it for him wouldn't they <laughs> it would happen it, yeah so they've spent a, a hell of a lot of money um, nearly half a million quid I think and they're going to relay the pitch properly um, um, at the end of this season when it's finished but because of COVID the, the original plan was to relay the pitch this last um, summer because uh, of COVID didn't happen so um, they've ripped the pitch up now and got this this spare one from Tottenham I think Tottenham's ground staff have actually installed it um, and um, hopefully it'll be glorious because I think he's felt that the, the tip, they've had some drainage issues at Elland Road for a long time and the weather in West Yorkshire has not been great over the past few months and they've, they've, it's been a heavy pitch uh, they've not been able to play the, the same sort of football as they've been playing on the training ground and so that's what's happened they've, they've sorted it out so I haven't actually seen the pitch yet but it has been snowing quite significantly <laughs> over the past couple of days which won't help but we'll see if that makes a difference Leeds hopefully I mean I think Everton fans from what I've seen are a little bit because they didn't have a great time against Newcastle I think there's a bit of concern a bit of uh, edginess around the Everton team uh, they do have uh, Josh King now not sure he'll make a debut uh, a starting debut might come on I don't know but um, Leeds have got a couple of injuries concerns um, Rodrigo the main one um, but hopefully Rafinha will yeah. uh, will be back Yeah and Bamford as well who had a really good game against Leicester picked up mm-hmm. a bit of a dead leg in that fixture but it looks like he should uh, be able to uh, to be fit and available to play against Everton. So Everton on a good win away, away from home. Leeds not particularly good at home, but the statistics all boil down to the fact that Everton are rubbish at Ellen Road. And who would have thought that the biggest transfer in January would have been a pitch from Tottenham to Leeds? Uh, <laughs> it just goes to yeah. show the excitement that we've had this last month in terms of transfers. Leeds against Everton, 7.30 kickoff. The only game that kicks off at 7.30. There are two games that kick off at 8.15, one of which is at Aston uh, is at Aston Villa where they take on West Ham United two sides here Marley having really good seasons Villa though probably have the advantage they have games in hand over sides around them including Everton so if they want European football they're going to need to beat teams like Hammers who have got similar aspirations as they do 
Uh, yeah, they are. Um, you know, it's getting to a point now where you've got to be, you've got to be ruthless. You've got to be relentless. And I think a lot of people are probably expecting Villa to to sort of slip away a little bit. Um, but they get they're picking up results where you'd you'd expect them to 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 get them type of thing. Like at the weekend, I think you know uh, against. Who'd play Southampton at the weekend? It was two very similarly matched teams, I think. Um, but Villa got got the win. They did what they what they need to do in and beat the teams around them. I think Villa um, taking on West Ham. I think you know they can go above them with a win, and it's kind of like two sort of pretenders seeing who's pretending and uh, scrapping each other. Because you know, if it's a draw, it doesn't help anyone. But you know, Villa will fancy the chances at home um, against West Ham, but. I think it'd be a really good game. This, I don't think you can say that too often about Villa versus West Ham over the years because it's it's hardly been a, you know, a, a barnstormer. Um, so certainly for the neutral, but you know the way Villa are playing, it's it's nice to watch. It's decent. You know, Watkins, Grealish, Barkley. They've got the new lad Sanson to come in as well, and uh, Traore. You know, they've got some exciting players, and then West Ham have, uh, are plugging along, doing what they're doing, and uh, it should be a, it should be a decent game, I think, but. It's time. It's getting to the point where a season where teams fall away. So you ta- you you start to see, you know, who's who's really in this, and it's important for Villa to to beat a team, you know, slightly ahead of them, who they can go above with a win, and say, you know, we're we're really here for this. We are trying to get into this top eight, um, and we're not just riding a wave kind of thing, and and you know, being plucky sort of underdogs who are beating teams that are in bad runs of form. We, we need to go and beat a team that's won, I think, five out of the last six games, West Ham. So let's go and uh, beat them and put an exclamation point and say, you know, we, we are really in this this European battle. I'm glad you've said that about teams falling away, Marley, because I certainly was thinking that in terms of West Ham. Because David Moyes has said, Ian, that he's happy with the Hammers' January business, their decision not to bring in another striker to compete with Mikhail Antonio, who is the only forward player uh, that can play through the middle in West Ham's ranks. What do you make of that? Do you think that West Ham might regret that come the end of the season? Because, you know, there's still a fair way to go. Yeah, but at the same time, I, I, I'm, I fully support managers who f- feel that there's no point signing players for the sake of it because I think that can upset the apple apple cart just as much as uh, as actually not signing someone that you might need. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think uh, if he's happy with what he's got and thinks that he can make do, I mean, they have make, made some additions. Jesse Lingard's eligible and they reckon that he might well um, make his West Ham debut uh, tonight. So they have got um, people there who are capable of, of, of scoring goals. And, um, you know, I, I think that the January transfer window is always is one of those where um it, it i think i mentioned the other day that it's it's not really um the market for for wholesale changes to your team you know it's 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 not a great market it's players who are out of favor elsewhere really um and so if if they're not better than what you've already got then it's worth you know giving it a miss and not wasting your money and it's been likened i think i said the other day did i uh, that um it was likened. I don't know if I saw it on Twitter or whatever. That um, you can recreate the excitement of the January transfer window by um, nipping into your supermarket at two minutes to eleven and panic buying a pot noodle. <laughs> it's, uh, it's 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 that kind of thing. So if David Moyes is happy with what he's got, I think stick with it. You know he knows his team better than than us all. So, uh, but they have made additions and. Um, 
wait and see if they if they work out for him. I think Jesse Lingard is is a good signing. Mm, could see him make his debut tonight for West Ham away at Aston Villa, 8.15 kickoff, And Liverpool take on Brighton. That's the final game tonight in the Premier League. Also an 8.15 start at Anfield. We could, Marley, see new signings. And I've written this down in capital letters to make sure I get it right today. Ben Davies and Ozan <laughs> Kabak because <laughs> I think you called it Jimitis. We know how difficult it is for Jim to say some Premier League player names uh, sometimes. Um, I managed to get everyone's names backwards yesterday on the podcast. So apologies <laughs> to Liverpool fans listening. Ben Davies and Ozan Kabak. Have I got that right? I think I have, haven't I? I think so, yeah. It was funny. <laughs> Do you know what? Yesterday, right, I was listening back to the podcast and I just thought, I think that's right, but I think it, I better check it because there's that many Davises knocking around. There's Ben Davis at, at Spurs. There's now Ben Davis at Liverpool. There's Tom Davis at um, at Everton, and then this. Um, I think you did. You say Ozan uh, Oban Kazakh yes. yesterday, <laughs> and then everyone just cottoned onto it because no nobody uh, nobody <laughs> questioned it because it sounded right because it's the same sound of of things. But yeah. Ozan Kabak, I think it is, but still, you know, he's, I don't know what he's going to gonna be like. He's been at Schalke and losing games for 18 months now, so let's uh, let's see if he knows what it's like to, to win a game. Do you think we'll see him and Ben Davis make their debuts, or maybe one or the other? Do you think we'll see either of them start tonight against Brighton? Oof. I think you've, you've definitely got to start at least one of them, because they've got Man City at the weekend. Um, and I think if you don't start one of them now, you then sort of faced with do I throw them in against Man City because you talk about a bloody baptism of fire Christ you don't want to chuck a championship defender in for his Premier League debut against Man City really so I'd probably expect at least one of them to start tonight I personally I'd, I'd stick them both in and see how see how they do um, and just settle them in mm-hmm. a little bit give them 90 minutes together and then you know you've always got Henderson and probably Fabinho for the weekend as well um, if you want to sit there and they're and more effective in the mid- middle of the park aren't yeah. they so you know it's kind of the whole thinking, I guess, is it unlocks those two from those defensive shackles to go forward again and play in the middle, yeah. which is where they got the majority of their success, haven't they, in recent years? With those yeah, two and games. ideally you want them in midfield against Man City, so, you know, yeah, fine, play, you know, play the new defenders against Brighton, and then if they do all right, stick them in against Man City and go and try and win the game with Fabinho and Henderson in midfield rather than slotting in at the back and, you know, being able, being challenged to deal with, uh, you know, Man City's front three or four or whatever it is, so... Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd stick them both in me. OK, what about Brighton then, Ian? If they win, I mean, it's unlikely, as we've said, about Burnley beating Man City, but if they do win, it'd be a huge, if not unexpected, boost for them and further extends that gap between themselves and the bottom three. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a bad time to play Liverpool at the minute. I think they're going to have their tail between their legs and uh, they've got ground themselves to make up, haven't they, on the on the teams above them if they want to mm. retain that title. But for Brighton, a, a win tonight would, um, would, would make a you know a big difference and and give them the advantage among those other teams that are just hovering above the the drop zone um you know three points can make a a massive difference as as I'm saying it's getting very very tight down there so yeah and it would put them uh, it would put them ahead of the likes of um wool well no the head of the likes of newcastle actually um because they're on 21 so I put them on 24 with a win um burnley have got a couple of games in hand so it's um it's uh, yeah. There's a lot to uh, a lot to play for um, 
a win would do them good. I wouldn't expect it. Uh, well, me either. Um, but then again, who <laughs> expected it to finish 9-0 last night at Old Trafford? And that happened. So we'll wait and see what happens in tonight's Premier League offerings. Liverpool versus Brighton, 8.15pm kickoff. And we've reached the end of today's Football Social Daily, but we'll be able to digest everything that happened in tonight's Premier League fixtures on tomorrow's show. So make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss that episode or any further episode right throughout the course of the season because as we've been saying for ages now we are the only Premier League podcast with a new episode seven days a week there aren't any other podcasts that do that that focus on the top flights if you like what you hear hit subscribe and that way you won't ever miss one that's it for today's podcast thank you very much Ian thank you thanks very much Marley cheers guys thank you and uh, we'll catch you again tomorrow on Football Social Daily to hear the latest Premier League news for your team head to sport-social.co.uk 